0: Grandpa Joe, man, that guy's the worst. He's a bad guy, Joe. This guy lays in bed all day long in his pajamas while his old lady's working like she's triple shifting at the laundromat. And then the second the kid comes home with a gold ticket, he's right out of bed. All of a sudden, the old guy hits his head on the ceiling getting out of bed. He's dancing around,
1: moonwalking. You may have guessed that's a clip from talk radio. You may not have surmised it's from a radio show devoted to sports. It's a guy named Jim Rome, one of the nation's most popular sports talk radio hosts, not talking sports at the moment, but instead going off on a fictional character from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
2: When guys talk on sports radio shows, and look, let's face it, most of the hosts and callers on sports radio are men. They mostly talk about sports, who's going to win the championship, which guy should the coach put in at quarterback. But far more interesting, for our purposes on this podcast, are the times when people on sports talk radio talk about how to be a man. And as it turns out, they talk about that a lot.
1: Directly and indirectly, ironically and seriously, how to be an admirable guy in these complicated times and how not to. This
0: guy's like, I got a golden ticket. Yeah, Pops, why don't you get yourself a job? Why don't you support the family? Why don't you kick something into that pot? Instead of you and the other six others being in bed in your pajamas all day long watching TV. Well, then all of a sudden the kid comes home with a candy bar and a golden ticket and you're ready to run a marathon. Dead Pete.
2: From the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University and PRX, it's Seen on Radio, Part 11 of our series, Men. We're looking at masculinity, sexism, patriarchy, how it all works, and why we need to take it apart. I'm Celeste Headley.
1: I'm John Bewin. For this episode, we've repurposed and rebuilt a piece from Season 1 on this show. It was part of a series that looked at stuff like race, class, and gender through sports, Borrowing from Raymond Carver, I called that original episode, What Men Talk About When They Talk About Sports.
2: And as it turned out, John, you had to listen to a heck of a lot of sports talk radio in order to do this piece. And I I mean, I got to wonder if that's something you enjoy. I hope so. You (laughs) love it.
1: (laughs) No, well, it's not something I ordinarily do. I've listened to games on radio at various points in my life. Not recently, but... Uh, especially baseball, which is definitely the best sport to watch on the radio. Uh, but sports talk was never of interest to me. I mean, I've never been into sports so much that I wanted to spend hours listening to people talk about it. Um, how about you, Celeste? Sports talk radio?
2: Yeah, no. (laughs) I'm sure that's not a surprise. Um, But sports talk radio is a very, very popular format. There are about as many sports talk stations as there are public radio stations. And sports talk has tens of millions of listeners, mostly men, aged 25 to 54. Some major cities have not just one, but three or four stations. Talking sports 24-7. I mean, I guess you thought there was something important you could learn about American men by listening in. But really, John, I'm not sold on this yet. I mean, we're talking about really big, broad issues of masculinity and gender in this podcast. And sports talk sounds like a little bit of a trivial detour here. So mm. will I really care about this? Or?
1: Well, OK, it's a fair question. First of all, you're going to hear, I I want to say this straight, you're going to hear very little about sports themselves in this episode, right? And this is the next to last episode in our 12-part season. You could almost say, in a way, it's the climax of the series. Um, That's how important I think this is. Not sports per se, because, of course, not all men are into sports either. A lot of women love sports.
3: Yeah.
1: a jaunt through sports talk radio might sound like a sidebar but but it points us i think to one of the central things we have to understand about our patriarchal culture
2: that's your pitch okay yes. i look i'm willing to be convinced so you tell me what is the big deal about all of this and then we will talk about it and we'll hear more from that psychologist terry reel i get right here.
1: Now, if you're not a Sports Talk listener, you may be thinking, I know what this is gonna be. A bunch of guys in their electronic tree house sounding like 1962.
0: Grilling is like a real bastion of, of manhood. It's just a man thing,
3: right?
1: Oozing testosterone, up sizing up women's bodies, bashing gays, maybe some recreational racism thrown in from time to time. That's more or less what I expected. By the way, more than 90% of the top sports talk radio hosts are white men. Almost all of the rest are black men. Of the top 100 most popular sports talk radio programs, among them the 185 or so hosts that they have, because, you know, a number of them have more than one host, there's one woman uh, at WFAN in New York City. That said, having spent a bunch of hours listening, I have to say... What goes on in that radio clubhouse is more complicated than I expected and just more interesting.
0: Yeah, it seems to me it's like weakness on weakness, strength on strength. Yeah. Because uh, Cook is obviously very impressive. And-
4: so this is the station I listen I don't to, need to be taught special. the most. Uh, I'm listening to 97.1 The Ticket, which is a local Detroit sports radio program. So David Nyland is on the couch in his loft condo in Sacramento, California. He's streaming the station on his laptop. It helps me hear more substantive discussion of Detroit sports or Michigan State, University of Michigan, but it also is a way of feeling connected to home.
0: You know, it could be a long day for Michigan State. Now, they'll probably come up with something a little bit better than they had against Rutgers.
4: But This is a really huge game. This would be really significant to beat Michigan. You know, I was, I was actually getting um, sort of pumped up Uh, as a michigan state fan so you get it david is a
1: fan but seriously he's really a fan
4: here's all my detroit stuff right here okay line he's
1: got framed pictures of detroit sports heroes on the walls in his front hallway
4: yeah so the rest of the house is just modern art and some people give me a hard time like being a metrosexual but then there's this area that honors Detroit sports teams and then my bathroom is all Michigan State plaques and the toothbrush holder. So just, I, just to be really clear you
1: have a Michigan State Spartans shower curtain. Yes. It's Michigan State green with the um, the Spartans logo thing right. on it, the helmet right? and the...
4: So this is over the top but I, I this is where my loyalty and passion
1: is. But if you're picturing a Joe six-pack kind of sports fan His references to modern art and being a metrosexual might have tipped you off that
4: there's more to David Nyland. I am a full professor at California State University Sacramento, a professor of social work. I've been there about 13 years. I've mainly been a psychotherapist for close to 30 years. I also have a PhD in cultural studies with an emphasis in feminist theory, very social justice-minded, work with Queer communities. I am the clinical director of the Gender Health Center, which is a local nonprofit agency that serves the transgender community. At this point, you could be thinking, What? Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's um, a contradiction.
1: But David thinks the blended brand
4: of masculinity that he's living out is not unusual. Influenced by traditional ideas of manhood, but also being informed by a lot of the recent progress made with, in regards to gay rights, women's rights. So I think in some way I am maybe in a, a more heightened contradiction, but I think a lot of men live a similar life. David hears a good bit of that complexity
1: in the voices of sports talk radio. And he's an expert. He wrote a book on the subject.
4: It's called Beer Babes and Balls Masculinity in Sports Talk Radio. He said that
1: really fast. Wouldn't want you to miss that title. Here he is again, slowed down.
4: It's called Beer Babes and Balls, Masculinity in Sports Talk Radio.
1: Not a typical title for what is, in fact, a scholarly book published by an academic press. Nylon did lots of listening to sports talk radio and applied content analysis. He interviewed people who work on and listen to sports talk shows. In particular, he focused on the guy we heard at the top of this episode. Currently the number two sports talk radio host in the whole country, Jim Rome of CBS Sports.
4: Jim Rome became famous on a a national level for his rather um, Neanderthal, macho speech, a lot of what he calls uh, talking smack, pretty much like insulting others and getting the upper hand. And he was known for insulting a quarterback for the Rams at the time, Jim Everett, referring to him as Chrissy, the tennis player, feminizing him because he didn't stay in the pocket and get hit.
0: Jim, good to have you on the show. Good to be here, Jim. Thank you. Check that, Chris Everett. Good to have you on the show. You know
4: what? You know you've been calling me that for about the last five years. Now two years actually, Chris. Well, hey, so you know what? Let me, Jim Rome was assaulted by Jim Everett on a live show on ESPN2. But if you call me, Chris Everett, to my face one more time... I already did it better, twice. You better, you call one more time, we better stay, take a station break. Chris?
1: That was Jim Rome back in 1994. But as David says, people aren't just one thing. And sometimes
4: they evolve. So I thought he was interesting to kind of interrogate and to analyze because at the same time, in terms of his promoting these traditional... Kind of sexist, macho ideas, he became known for his support of gay athletes and not tolerating homophobic speech on his program.
0: Well, let's go to the phones. We go to Buford, South Carolina, Neil.
1: Here's Rome on his radio show almost 20 years after the Jim Everett incident. In 2013, leading a discussion about gay players in pro football.
0: You know, we've been listening to all this... Gay sports stuff in the NFL, and I wanted to bring up how come we haven't talked about any of maybe some of the lesbian types of stuff that go on maybe in soccer or softball or women's basketball or any of the uncomfortableness that might be going on in that locker room. Why have we just singled out the men? What do you mean? What are you talking about? What what should we be talking about that we're not talking about?
3: Well, it's just I just feel like you know. Two guys can go ahead and watch a lesbian something,
0: and they would like it. But you would never find a woman watching two guys and enjoy that. I'll tell, what, I'll tell you what I don't enjoy. The stupidity of this telephone call. What I do not enjoy is the stupidity of that telephone call. That's what I don't enjoy. What the hell are you talking about? I understand that this is going to be a very difficult conversation for some of you to handle and have, but you need to do better than that.
1: Rome is not some overtly sensitive public radio type, and he's nobody's political activist. But he often plays the grown-up in the room when somebody calls in with a question or comment that's bigoted or clueless about sexual orientation, about women.
0: And I put, got myself in a position where a girl had come up to me, and I was one of the star linebackers on our team. I said to myself, I tell any guy, if, a girl, if I have to rape a girl just to get her into bed or have sex with her or whatever, it's not worth it. And some of these athletes... <clears throat> it's not? And for the last time, rape is not having sex. Rape is committing a crime. A violent crime.
1: Or about race?
4: What's this absolute occult fascination with Chicago and St. Louis? They're both toxic dumps in the Midwest. And the only thing that both these cities are known for... It's crime, crack, and having more black people than a Tarzan flick.
0: I mean, are you freaking kidding me? I don't need that crap on my radio show.
1: So what does Rome have to say about the biggest and longest-running politically loaded sports story of our time, the mostly black NFL players kneeling for the national anthem? Here's Rome on his show in May 2018.
0: The protests are not about the national anthem. They're not about the flag. They're not about the military. And to me, to claim that they are is pretty ignorant. The idea that the players are making a statement that the nation is not living up to the values represented by the flag is somehow disrespectful to the flag is just beyond me because that's not what they're saying. I mean, whose idea was it for Colin Kaepernick to kneel in the first place? Green Beret, Texas Longhorn, Seattle Seahawk, Nate Boyer. Nate Boyer gave him that idea. It was born out of a conversation that the two of them had. A conversation where Boyer said the first words from Kaepernick were to thank Boyer for his service. The players have made it pretty clear that their concerns are with social injustice. Their concerns are with police brutality.
4: It becomes a vehicle to have a fairly substantive discussion of social issues that couldn't be predicted at a first reading of sports radio. David Nyland says
1: he listened to long, intense discussions about domestic violence on sports radio after Ray Rice and other football players were charged with assaulting their girlfriends and their
4: children. Men who listen to sports radio were having discussions about an issue that they otherwise wouldn't have. They wouldn't have it in other genres. They're not going to uh, lectures at the university uh, sponsored by, you know, uh, the Women and Gender Studies Department. So I think that is important to acknowledge. So yeah, Nyland says, sports talk radio is a
1: kind of refuge for a lot of men, a place to go and relax and talk guy stuff away from the demands of a shifting culture. And for some, that does mean behaving like, well... This is host Josh Innes a few years ago, talking with a co-host about the model Kate Upton the day after she appeared on their show to talk about her interest in equestrian. Would you
4: ever pleasure her orally? That's the next question.
1: So yes, sometimes these guys are absolute pigs on the air. But sports radio also seems to be a place, often, where men get together to try to figure out how to be. After listening to hours of sports talk, and especially the Jim Rome show, I compiled a short list of lessons for being a guy that I thought I heard on those shows. I ran them past Professor David Nyland, and he approved. He agreed I was on the right track. So here they are. First rule. Have something to say, and for God's sake, say it emphatically. Don't offer it up as one possibility among others. Make a pronouncement. Or as Jim Rome likes to put it, have a take, don't suck. Here's David Nyland.
4: There isn't people on the program like, I wonder if it's possible, You know, could it be this point, but I'm not sure, what do you think? It's more just a very direct debate style, make your point, and then Jim Rome decides whether that is a good take, and then you're in the club, you're in the man club, or not, and you get buzzed out. You gotta speak confidently and with style. Don't be
1: boring. Those standards apply to the occasional woman caller, too.
2: Hey, Rome, how are you?
0: I'm great,
1: Jolene, how are you?
2: I wanted to talk to you about the guy from South
1: Carolina yesterday when he called in and was supposedly taking his
2: kid's dog out back to shoot him. Sure. I mean...
0: That would be like what?
2: He sucks. Ah!
0: And now I just hung up on you again, Jolene. It's just not a good phone call, Jolene. I mean, I'm trying, I'm helping you. There are several million people listening on several hundred radio stations. And if you call up and say, hey, Rome, I want to talk about that guy that I heard on the program yesterday. He sucks. Well, so does your take. You have to do better than that.
1: Next rule. Do your job. Don't be Grandpa Joe. Show some integrity. In short, be a stand-up guy.
0: How about Arod, Nailed as a cheater. Remember when we used to talk about how this was going to be the guy that helped restore integrity to Major League Baseball? This is a guy you can believe in. This guy doesn't cheat.
1: Finally, the last pair of rules, and these are big. First, don't be a loser. Don't be the wrong kind of guy. That might sound like just another way of saying be a winner, which, spoiler alert, that is the last rule coming next but Don't Be a Loser, needs some attention of its own. I have to say, this surprised me more than anything in listening to Sports Talk and the Rome Show in particular. The amount of time spent talking about the type of guy not to be.
0: Hey Jim, add homebrew beer guy to the hated guys list. You know the guy. Snake guy. Y'all know that guy, right? When you went to college, was there not that one idiot with the snake in the dorm? There's always that one guy.
1: Karaoke guy. Jersey guy. The grown man who wears football jerseys out and about. The list goes on.
0: You know, golf guy. You know, likes to fight guy. You know, at the party, guy. And you know, gym guy. We all know him. We all hate him. You know, the guy who rocks the weightlifting gloves. The gloves that he has to re-Velcro before every big set.
1: It's a little daunting, isn't it? It's a minefield trying to figure out how not to be one of these loser types. But do you notice what I notice about the hated guys? For me, it brings back that complexity that David Nyland, our expert in Sacramento, talked about earlier. On the one hand, there's this retrograde, adolescent, who-should-we-all-shun kind of talk. For Nyland, this kind of thing pretty much blows up the idea of the John Wayne, rugged, individualist American man.
4: In many ways, men are just very much wanting to fit in. There isn't much independence. It's like fitting in with the, other, with the guy code or the bro code. But at the same time, a lot of the guys Rome hates are the old-school,
1: traditionally masculine dudes. The guy in the sports car who pulls up beside you on the freeway and wants to race—
0: Who do you think that is? It's a given. Corvette guy.
1: Or this one. Handshake guy. The
0: bone crusher. Shaking somebody's hand is a greeting. It's a formality. It is not a tough man's competition. I know you think that you're establishing some sort of alpha dog status. We get it. You're tough. Good for you. Can I have my freaking hand back, please?
1: Rome said that on the radio before Donald Trump became president and established himself as possibly the world's most ridiculous handshake guy. Finally, the most important rule of all. Be a winner. Be the top dog. Be the guy. Here's Rome a few years ago talking about the basketball player Dwight Howard, who was trying to decide at the time whether to stay with the Los Angeles Lakers or move to a smaller market team with less pressure.
0: The fact that he hasn't come right out and said, I want to be here and I want to dominate. I want to be here and I want to be the face of the franchise. All of that tells me he's not sure he can handle it and he's not sure he wants it. And if he's not sure, then that's not a guy that I would trust. You have to have a kill or be killed mentality and a willingness to grind. And I haven't seen that from him either. The fact that he wants to look around and see what else is out there tells me he does not know what it takes to be the man in L.A. If the guy wanted to be the guy, we'd know it.
1: See, it's not just about being a great player or a team player. It's about making yourself the unquestioned leader. Jim Rome himself is comfortable being the guy. His show reportedly earns him tens of millions of dollars a year. And the way he presides as host, you'll never doubt he's in charge.
2: So are most sports talk guys like Jim Rome Because he sounds like a lot of the men I know, actually, right? I mean, they love sports and they have strong opinions, but they don't hate women or gay people. Regular guys, not the guys that I usually hear on talk radio who sound like they're performing an Al Bundy role or something.
1: Well, you know, of course, there's a whole range among sports talk hosts, just like among regular, like, talk radio hosts, right? We heard the clip from the jackass talking about Kate Upton. And those guys are out there. But my impression, and David Nyland would back this up, is that Rome is not unusual these days among the top sports talk shows. There would be more people like him among the most popular shows than like the guy, right, the other guy. And that's one kind of hopeful takeaway, I think, from this, that the messages of feminism, at least some of those messages, are reaching into most corners of society by now. Even this one, lots of men are at least wrestling with them.
2: And, you know, it is interesting to hear how Jim Rome himself evolved from his macho bad boy fighting in the studio days of the 1990s, again, in some ways. He's clear now in swatting away rape culture talk and homophobic talk from his callers and racist talk.
1: Right. But uh, now we've each used the phrase in some ways yeah. in talking about Jim Rome's you know, feminist evolution, because at the same time, there are other features of his show, like that debating style that he insists on, right? Each caller is basically accepting a challenge to make the most authoritative declaration you can and to do it with, f- like, it's, you, you call up and you deliver a little speech. Yeah. And to do it with flair, Insults to your debating opponent, some other guy who has a different opinion about who's the best player or whatever it is. Insults are encouraged and rewarded.
2: Necessary. I, I mean, I don't think anyone would mistake that for conversation. I mean, and mm-hmm. by the way, I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt that said, if she says we need to talk, run. Um, but on Rome show, he has turned to mansplaining into a competitive sport. I mean, even the callers are separated into winners and losers.
1: He actually calls his show The Jungle. Welcome to the jungle,
2: he says. And that's a really big part of traditional American masculinity that seems to go unquestioned in Jim Rome's world. Uh, Be a winner. Life is a contest, and you'd better win.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I should say, by the way, Jim Rome declined my interview invitation through his publicist, but this is the big idea that I think we need to talk more about. This, where are you in the pecking order, dude, thing. There are so many ramifications to this perceived difference between men and women. Men are competitive. Women are collaborative and cooperative on average, recognizing as always that these are generalizations that don't apply to every individual. Yeah,
2: like Serena Williams is seriously competitive. (laughs) Um, But trust me, just about every woman out there will tell you it is real. I mean, it's a thing. Um, This need to be somebody to be a success and to be seen as a success by the people around you. Many, if not most men, seem to feel that in a particularly urgent way. That's tied up with gender?
1: Well, as a, as a man, uh, I'm just going to say that the struggle is real, yeah. <laughs> right? The imprint that you get as a dude in our culture, I'll speak for myself, I got it, right? I, I, I've recognized it for many years and it's a lifelong challenge to loosen its grip and try to be guided by other more healthy motivations. <laughs> but yeah, the imperative to achieve, to excel, and to get outside recognition of your achievements. You know, Buddhist teachers talk about the comparing mind.
2: Yeah. And and if Buddha was talking about it 2,600 years ago, this shows that it's a very deeply human innate tendency, this tendency to measure yourself against other people. And men do not have a monopoly on it. Neither does American culture, for sure. Frankly, it's not always a bad thing. It is okay to be inspired by others, to be better and do more. But lots of cultures throughout history have recognized oversized ego and excessive competitiveness as character flaws, something to watch out for in ourselves. American culture practically sanctifies competitiveness as this great virtue, especially for men.
1: Yeah, we celebrate the uh, rugged individual, the Marlboro man, and we've got this hyper-competitive capitalist economy with, you know with its yawning gap between winners and losers.
2: And how we celebrate the winners, right? The superstar athletes, the tech billionaires, the movie stars.
1: We're going to win so much.
0: We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning.
1: The man we elected president in 2016, with a large majority of white men's votes doesn't just talk like that.
2: No, he shows and even says, in effect, that for him it is about winning no matter what.
1: Remember that speech he gave at a rally right after the Brett Kavanaugh-Christine Blasey Ford hearings?
2: How did you get home?
0: I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know.
4: I don't know. And you mimicked
1: Professor
2: Blasey Ford. You mimicked her. Had I not made that speech... We would not have won. Yeah, and on 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl challenged Trump about the way he treated Professor Ford. And finally, Trump just cut off the questioning. Uh, uh, You know what? I'm not going to get into it, because we won. It doesn't matter. We won.
1: Trump is downright cartoonish. But this be-the-winner messaging is everywhere in our culture. That guy in all the TV ads, the guy with the square jaw, the sunglasses, the stylish clothes, the beautiful woman gazing at him longingly, the gorgeous luxury car
2: he is in control, right? He's got this. and somehow it, it it's presented as though it's effortless for him. If you're a real man, that is what your life is like.
1: and by the way, Jim Rome, the sports talk host, is pretty much that guy. I imagine most of his listeners are not. They're not wearing tailored suits, living in a mansion in California showing up in Cigar Aficionado magazine, which he did. But his fans can associate themselves with that life, with that image, by listening in, and they can call in to talk with Jim himself about how that other guy over there, the guy with the snake in his dorm room, he's not a cool guy like us. He's a loser.
2: And it's not just about success or being cool. This is all deeply tied up with domination, power, and control. It's not just being the top dog in your profession or whatever, but also traditionally, at least, in your relationships. Especially if you're a heterosexual male, your relationships with women.
1: When you boil it down, that's what patriarchy is. A master-servant relationship. And to the extent that a man soaks up that deep-down belief that he's supposed to be in a dominant position with respect to women, of course, that leads to all the toxic stuff we've talked about throughout the Men series.
2: And you talked about these ideas with Terry Reel, a psychologist, therapist, and author uh, who we heard from in the last episode.
1: Yeah, in the last couple of episodes, we've talked about how masculinity is defined by what it negates, by the things that you must not be as a man. Not weak, not a woman, not gay, not vulnerable. Or, to state that last one as a positive trait, you're supposed to be invulnerable. Like Superman, who's who's literally impervious even to bullets. Or T'Challa in Black Panther with that amazing protective suit, right? Or the movie in which Bruce Willis becomes a super strong superhero. It's called Unbreakable, right? Here's Terry Reel.
3: The lie of patriarchy is dominion. The lie of patriarchy is hierarchy, that you are above the world, you're above nature, and you're imposing your will, like a doctor on a patient or a mechanic on a car. You are above the system. This is called hubris. The Greeks understood it. Hubris, or overweening pride, was the essence of all Greek tragedies. This is where the men fell, was by their grandiosity and pride. You are not in charge of the universe. You are not in
2: control of the universe. And it's actually a trap, isn't it? If a man buys into this idea that he has to be in control and be invulnerable, he is bound to fail. I mean, even the most successful man can't win all the time. Everybody comes crashing down eventually.
1: Even in everyday life, and even if you are the CEO or the national champion in this or that, and you're generally riding high today... You know deep down that you don't have it together all that well. You're muddling through. You're sure as hell not invulnerable. Terry Reel says that reality, that knowledge, leads to shame.
3: Men have underlying shame. All men have underlying shame because we all live a lie. The lie is that we're invulnerable when in fact we're not, we're human. That the lie is that we're in charge of nature, we're in charge of result, we're in charge of whether we close the deal or not, when we're not in charge of shit. We're in charge of ourselves on a good day, that's it. So all of us men are trying to live up to this thing, which is basically, you know what I say? I tell guys, running away from your vulnerability is like running away from your rectum. It has a way of following you no matter where you go.
2: (laughs) I I figured that a podcast on men would have to bring up butts at some point. Uh, But seriously, (laughs) this is the part of masculinity that I feel so much empathy for. This pressure to have the answer all the time. To be stoic. To be unmoved. I think this is part of what's behind mansplaining, in my opinion. It looks like a guy talking down to a woman and telling her the answer, But I feel like it comes from decades of being expected to have the answer. And the sort of bravado men use to cover up the insecurity of not knowing.
1: Yeah, it just becomes hard to say, I don't know. (laughs) That's a shame, right? We should be able to say that. The words Terry Reel uses for talking about this issue are um, shame and grandiosity. He says as a couples therapist, he spends a lot of time trying to help men come down from grandiosity, as he puts it, and to make a shift from hierarchical thinking, either I'm winning or I'm losing, to a relational way of being.
3: When you shift from that dominant hierarchical thinking to relational thinking, you shift from linear thinking to ecological thinking. You're not above the system. You're a humble subcomponent part of the system. You live inside of it. And it's in your interest to keep it clean and healthy.
2: Keeping the system clean and healthy. Whether the system you're talking about is a relationship, say a marriage, or whether you're talking about the literal ecosystem.
1: Yeah, and Terry Real is talking about that too.
3: The delusion of dominance over the feminine, including mother nature, will kill us. Let me be clear about the stakes If we continue to believe that we are technologists above the rule of nature, nature will prove otherwise. And the consequences will be severe. And they're coming.
2: He's talking about climate change, which is here, and already doing lots of damage and promises to be much more catastrophic. Of course, feminists have made this point before, but the impulse to dominate which is a very patriarchal way of being in the world, is the same impulse whether you're dominating women or the people who work for you or other people you decide are different from you or the natural world. Women have said it for a long time, but apparently it has not been said enough.
1: Apparently, judging from the way we're behaving as a society in the face of an environmental catastrophe that we're making for ourselves.
2: Yeah, and we have to turn it around, people. I mean, it's time for a change. A big change.
1: And that change is mostly a matter of policy when you're talking about something like climate change. But for individual men, to get over our egos, our need to win, and to get recognition from outside of ourselves, that's personal
3: work. Healthy self-esteem, which is what I teach men, which is rare in our culture. Healthy self-esteem comes from the inside out. It's because you're here, and you're a human, and you're breathing. And your essential worth cannot be added to, cannot be subtracted from. It can't be better or worse than the guy to the left or the right of you.
2: Or the woman, or the gender non-binary person, or the child, or whomever. Next time, the season finale. Some takeaways from the Men Series and thoughts on what to do about it all.
1: John Barth of PRX is our editor. Music by Alex Weston and by Evgeny and Sasha Galperine. Music and production help from Joe Augustine of Narrative Music. Seen on Radio comes from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University and PRX.